Rufus, are you in any playoff fantasy leagues? Probably not. No, not yet. Playoff fantasies. Playoff fantasy is really fun. We have a, a league, but SplashSports.com, which is our sponsor, they are an amazing company that's uh, reinventing the way office football pools and office pools are done, Survivor, all that kind of stuff. They have a bunch of one and done starting. They have a bunch of stuff for the playoff starting. So if you want to get involved in some playoff fantasy stuff, you can go to SplashSports.com and check it out. And we're going to have Mike Clay on from ESPN today to talk a little bit about that. He'll give you some insights into how you might model out the playoffs and some edges that you might get. And so with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage and sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast. It is the post-national championship episode where Rufus kind of, I feel like you predicted what was going to happen in that national championship game. You alluded to maybe this being another TCU Georgia instance. And, you know, we were talking off the air and you made the point that this game never felt close, even though, you know, it was a one score game for what, a quarter and a half, almost a quarter, a quarter at least. Your point on this is that if Michigan ever got into a game state where they needed to score, they would be able to score, I assume. I mean, I just think their play calling was so absurdly bad and con- and conservative that it, it it didn't adequately represent how they would have played in a neutral state game, I assume. I haven't watched a lot of Michigan football this year, though. So was the nuts then the under really not necessarily Michigan minus the four and a half? Cause certainly in the conservative world where you think Michigan is out there, the back door is going to always be open. I mean, the, the, the total went from, you know, it was everywhere from 55 and a half to 56 and a half. I think it closed 55 and a half. So probably the late money was on the under, but the under, even when that game was what 14 to, to three, in the what midway through 17 the third to three. quarter, 17 to three, whatever it was, midway through the or you know, towards the end of the first quarter, it, it felt still like the under had a, a, a pretty good shot. I, I was never um as someone that was holding the under, like I just was never I never I never felt like that was that we were uh drawing dead on that. I think that's easy to say now after having seen how Michigan called the game, but in the first quarter, I mean they were running the ball at will. And and you thought that they would just be able to continue physically manhandling Washington and they wouldn't have to really do a lot through the air. And they ended up just Washington ended up stopping the run and Michigan, when they ran pass plays, there were like two guys in routes that were both covered and it just didn't look good from an offensive perspective for a while for Michigan. But, but after having to watch the first quarter, I mean, you, you, you thought that Michigan, you know, the blowout was on. Yeah. But I guess, I guess Michigan, and, and, you know, having followed them, obviously, the whole season, they were a team that would tend to be more conservative. They used a ton of clock. They played at a very slow pace, especially, you know, obviously, they they were up almost all year. They never lost the game. So 
we only got to see them in this positive game state. The only the only way that game maybe nope. goes over is if Michigan gets into a, a some some form of a negative game state later on, like they did you know, against Alabama. Yeah, yeah. But even that game barely went over, right? It only went over because of overtime. Right, but but that was a game where they played from a negative game state. Sure. And was but even again, like you wouldn't say that they opened up the offense in the in that in that game, right? They still had a relatively ground heavy kind of situation. I mean, by their standards, they opened it up, I guess. Yeah. Uh NFL playoffs. You got any thoughts there? I do. I mean, we're we'll we'll hear from Mike Clay and and hear some of his thoughts though. I think that's a little more interesting. Well, I, I want to hear your thoughts. You don't have any thoughts? No, I mean, um, I think there's a very, there's, 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 well, on a macro level, I think there's some interesting things to talk about. One, I think the Eagles, you know, their three point favorites against Tampa that opened even lower. It's taken Tampa, it's taken Eagles money. You know, if you had said five or six weeks ago that you're going to be able to get the Eagles, you know, less than a field goal or even a field goal against the, against Tampa, you would, you would have jumped at that opportunity, but now it looks with all the injuries that, that the Eagles have and how they limp down to the end. Like what, what do your numbers make that to be? Yeah. And Tampa didn't even look that strong in the last few weeks either. So you're right. I mean, and you, the think they're is... nine, you think they're nine, nothing victory over Carolina where <laughs> Carolina had a touchdown, basically a touchdown called back or touchdown reversed because of a fumble right at the goal line. And you know Carolina missed a field goal. It's yeah, it was not. Impressive. Carolina can't score they, anybody. Carolina just cannot score at anybody. This that's not true. They scored against Green Bay. How many points? I think they scored thirty points against Green Bay. Something like that. that that's that feels like insanity. Linsanity. Kind um, of. So uh, the question to me though is how much do you? value that Eagles game against the Giants, at least the first half where they were playing Jalen Hurts and where theoretically they did have something to play for because had they won and the Cowboys lost, they win the division. Now, obviously you kind of expect that the Cowboys are going to beat the commanders as the commanders were resting a lot of players and trying to make sure they ended up with um, that number two draft pick. But if you're the Eagles, I mean, you kind of, I mean, I don't know how much that played into it. If, if they, just didn't feel necessarily that they knew they really weren't really playing for that much. Um, I mean, in the second half, that was the case, but you didn't expect them to fall behind 20, nothing to, to the giants with what starters they have healthy, you know, in the game. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely, it definitely was a, uh, a weird week 18 um, and Carolina did put up 30 against green Bay. So, which begs the question, like is green Bay, they even have a shot at um, Dallas and, and maybe we can start this until we bring in, are you going to, you don't, are you going to bet any NFL playoffs? No. You know, I'll, I'll be betting props at some point once I get that together and definitely for the Super Bowl. But in terms right. of sides, like looking at the board, I have every game, let's see, every game lined within a point and a half of the, the line, except one. So not, not a lot of value. And that one game is which Buffalo one's the one that you don't have line line Buffalo which Pittsburgh. one's the one you show some value i make the line yeah no i make buffalo minus seven and a half and that line's 10 right do you think that's tj watt could be i mean he's worth a lot he was out yeah 
How much do you think he's worth? I don't know. I mean, I would say at least a point. Two and a half points. I wouldn't so say two and a half points. Nine. What do you what do you make this um LA Detroit game? Because ultimately that's that's one that's pretty interesting, right? LA is this is the one where the narrative would be that McVeigh knows Goff really well. And um also obviously LA has played consider played continued to play better and better throughout the year. I mean, the fact that they almost beat Baltimore in Baltimore is pretty impressive. And you could argue that of all the NFC teams, they're playing as well as anyone. Even do you would you take anything away from a game like week 18 where they have nothing to play for, start Carson Wentz and still get down, you know, 14 points to the Niners and still come back and win that game? Do you make anything of yeah, that? But the so Niners have nothing happen? to play for either. Yeah, yeah. No, but, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying that that the nine it, it's, it's anything against the Niners. What I'm saying is, does that say anything for the Rams, you know, or, or is it just mean it's just noise? You know, I can't say definitively, but to me, I'm just throwing that game out entirely. How about LA and, and Detroit from a standpoint of, would you quantify, do you quantify rest or do you think about rest at all in a situation where Detroit played their whole roster played to win that entire game against Minnesota and LA essentially rested all of their key players, except for probably Nakua. That's a good point, but it is the NFL and you have a 53 man roster and you you can, I mean, you can only rest so many guys, realistically speaking, you you know, you still have to play some meaningful contributors. And so it's, it's not a true bye week but you do make a good point there. And, and I don't actually quantify that, but, you could argue it's worth something. Yeah, having, I'm, especially I'm having the like having the guys that were banged up basically um get a week to recover is especially this time of year is definitely worth a lot or worth something, I should say. Yeah. But, I mean it would be interesting to try to figure out the buy because we know there's a bye week effect. What's the bye week effect again? Just these days about What's a point and a half historically. So there's a point and a half bye week effect. It would be interesting to understand, and and I I know this is probably really hard. It's like figuring out home field and what the real contributors to home field are. But it'd be interesting to figure out how much of that is extra rest versus extra prep versus, you know, what whatever it is, because I would guess, right? And 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 I spoiler alert for my pick of the week, I, I actually like the Rams. Um, it's like plus three even right now against Detroit. But uh, it'd be interesting. One of the reasons I, I think a little bit about that is I think the Rams were are going to be better rested, but I don't I don't know what that actually means <laughs> in terms of a number. So wait, you, you said that McVeigh knows golf. Doesn't golf know McVeigh too? Well, less you would think less of. It's possible that golf knows the defense well from the schemes, and if not a lot has changed. So certainly, yes, this is like the old, like, oh, when a coach leaves a team and blah, 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 like, who knows? It's the Dayball versus the Bills situation, you know, where Dayball, they say, knew the Bills, and that's why they were able to play them so close. But yeah, I mean, they 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 played a lot. They The Giants actually were a good spoiler down the road, for sure. Okay, then then in terms of the other games, do you have, so you don't really have any opinions in Cleveland, you think that that's a pretty good one. We're, we're gonna. Uh, by gonna the way, I, I lean, Mike. I lean, I lean Rams with you there. Hey guys, I make it about okay. a point and a half. 
All right. Well, we'll go. This will be completely organic right now because we're already recording. So, Mike, we're going to welcome you in organically right now to the Bethel right. Process podcast. This is this is like what dreams are made of. So, Mike Clay, tell us a little bit about who Mike Clay is and how you got to be uh, sitting here talking to two of the most influential podcasters in the world. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny you say that because we often uh you know we do the fantasy focus podcast all the time and we joke that we're a comedy podcast because you know once in a while we make a joke so of course we're a, a top end uh of the comedy podcast as well but uh yeah so um in you know one word nerd you know or two words sports nerd just grew up on sports loved it had notebooks uh just jotted down stats all the time watched the bottom line tracked baseball lineups whatever it is i just grew up around it it was always my hobby uh, growing up, but it kind of grew from there. I, you know, covered uh, sports at the college level, came out of college, started my own blog to do football projections. I was pretty much just unhappy with the projections available in the industry at that point. Uh, it was about 12 years ago. And then just kind of kind of went from there, went to, to pro football focus, was there for a while, got to work with a lot of new data, like depth of target, snap shares, routes, that kind of stuff, which, you know, at that point, 2011, 2012, wasn't mainstream at all. So again, to work with that allowed me to kind of build knowledge of the game before other people worked honestly because a lot of that stuff wasn't available uh, and it's just grown from there with with my move to ESPN and, and they've allowed me to uh, work with a lot of similar similar data so that's in a nutshell you know I just love it it's my job but it's also my passion it's something I do late at night instead of watching tv and I just enjoy it so that's that's kind of the long and short of it have you found that doing like your passion for a living has it's continued. You said it's continued to be your passion. There's been no waiting of that at all. No, not at all. Not, not for football where I have lost in, in terms of like my overall uh, sports love is other sports have been cut out. I don't follow baseball at all. Basketball. I've solely cut out hockey. The only other thing I watch, believe it or not, is auto racing is NASCAR for the most part, some F1 as well. Uh, that's the only thing I do kind of for leisure, but I love the I love all sides of the NFL, whether it's watching it, enjoying it, and certainly the objective side of it, you know, processing it and and learning about it because it's so tricky. Like it's one of it's unlike other sports, whereas there's so many variables and moving parts, there's really a, a qualitative aspect to it. It's not just processing numbers, in my opinion. At least that's that's my uh, my process. So yeah, I, I'd say the passion's still still strong. So you uh, mentioned the qualitative stuff, and I, I was actually going to ask you about that at some point. I mean there is an art to it. it. There's a science and an art. Can you talk a little bit about the qualitative uh, process for you and any adjustments you make? Yeah, 100%. A lot of that goes into things like uh, following reports from our NFL nation team or beat reporters or pro like an example of that would be who's going to get the carries in a given week. Like the, the way my model is built, there's a lot, there's a strong quantitative aspect to it which, you know, we'll go through and kind of determine things like expected yardage and completion rate and touchdowns scored by the team, those kind of things. But there's also the split of carries, you know, who is going to get the carries that week. And that is, that's the the main part of it. That is qualitative. It's, you know, drop back share. That's a pretty easy one. There's carry share and there's target share. Those are the key three, I guess I'll say, uh, in terms of week to week qualitative aspects. And every week, as soon as the one o'clock's end, I'm already on it. I'm importing that data. I'm working on that team for next week to figure out who's going to get the carries, who's going to get the targets, who went down with an injury. What does that mean for the other players who gets moved up the depth chart? Is it, is it a committee now? Is it a lead back? And some of that is experience, uh, the art of it, as you say. Uh, some of it is 
following and adjusting throughout the week as we get more information. I don't know if you guys remember this. I don't know how closely you're in the in the fantasy world, but Zach Evans around midseason. Remember when Kyron Williams went out and Zach Evans was like the hyped up player. He was going to be the lead back for the Rams. Like at first, we all thought he was the next man up, and that's how I projected it. And then as the week went on, you learn more and more. And by the by Sunday morning on our on on FF now, it was like, you know what? You might want to avoid this guy. This is not looking good. Uh so uh that's that's the art side of it. That's the quality of side of it. And you I think you can't do good player level fantasy projections or even prop projections without that aspect. I mean, that's really interesting and something that I've dealt with modeling player player props and especially the running back carry split, which is mm-hmm. You know, you want to be able to say quantitatively, like simulate out what is this guy's distribution of rushes, rush attempts look like, and what, and as a result, what's his distribution of, of rushing yards look like. But, you know, you could say you could have two guys that you project at, let's say, 11.7 carries. And one guy, you could see a world where he gets two to three carries, and another world where he gets 18 carries, and another guy where you're pretty reliably sure he's going to get those carries. Are you able to just sort of say, okay, like there's these different worlds that exist of the way the game could go or the way that this running back could be used in such as in this particular case where with Kyron Williams injured, or you, do you kind of, do you kind of go through that and say, okay, like if this happens, this is what it's going to look like and sort of run simulations that way. Yeah, I would say, um, a lot of that is, is, uh, understanding game script and projecting game script. I think that's a, a, a that's obviously you could say number one almost for, for player props, because if you get that wrong, if you're way off, then uh, that can mess up all of them. That can mess up the pass attempts, the carry. So I tend to, that's tends to be where my brain goes is kind of projecting how that would look, but you're right. There is a confidence level for certain backfields and I might not play uh, that situation. Like the Rams backfield, I didn't bet it that week. You know, sometimes um, there's other weeks where a guy gets promoted and the market's not aware of it. And you can pounce on that and, and kind of take advantage. It is, a, again, an area where there's uncertainty. But if you have a, a high confidence that you know who that next off-ball linebacker is going to be or lead back is, you can kind of pounce on it. So, yes, I would say that's also a little bit of the, the qualitative level as well as, you know, confidence in in the projection. Right. And I would guess, like, for DFS, I mean, when you, if you care about upside there, like, the guy mm-hmm. that could be a lead back you don't know is going to be worth a lot more there. And, and same with like, if you pounced on like alternate over, uh, line overs. Yeah, no doubt. The nice thing about DFS too is, you know, a lot of times those guys are ruled out midweek and then the backup's so cheap. It's, you just throw a three, you know, if the guy's 3K or 3,500, you could punt that spot uh, and, and deal with that high variance because you make can make up for it with Tyree Kill or someone like that. So yeah, I'm with you. Do you have a baseline like quantitative model for projecting these things like splits in, in, in the case that there aren't injuries? Like, are you going to say you know, these backs have been healthy all year? There hasn't been any major change. This is, these have been the game scripts. This is what they've, this is what their carry splits have been. This is how I project it. And then sort of tweak off of that. And it's sort of same for um, projecting target shares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I, I think the thing that annoys me most about uh, football is obvious, which sucks is injuries, right? That just derails so much. It's very hard to find a team that has gone 10 consecutive weeks with everything status quo, and it makes it kind of easy to project those shares. And then that week, you would adjust, obviously, for matchup. That's the big one. Game script I mentioned, you know, is is it a pass funnel, a run funnel, whatever that may be. Uh, those are kind of those adjustments. But otherwise, in terms of shares, it's straightforward. It's a quick adjustment each week. Uh, but unfortunately, that is rare because <laughs> there's just so many things that get messed up by 
uh, by injuries. And, you know, an example right now would be Detroit, you know, big target share for Sam Laporta. If he doesn't play, you look back to last year when they didn't have him and they had the other tight ends were there. Uh, you know, Brock Wright was was one of their top guys last year and they didn't throw to the tight end that much. So that distributes targets to other perhaps to the wide receivers, you know, if, uh, you know, Josh Reynolds, whoever it may be, sees more targets, the, the second and third receivers. And, you know, obviously that's, again, kind of that qualitative aspect where you kind of tweak it and move targets somewhere else based on on knowledge of the past and, and go from there. So it's just a, every team is different. And that's why I think you have to have that aspect. I, I just don't know how to do projections for football without that aspect. I just think it's so important. And, and I think that's where I get my edge, frankly. Interesting. I mean, that's, it sounds very similar to what I end up doing when I do Super Bowl props and where you're looking, you're looking at past games and being like, oh, this guy wasn't playing like where were where were the roots distributed? Right. Mm -hmm. And so like that, that particular case with Laporta, um, if he's out, like you look at the past games and maybe there weren't as many tight end target shares, but they had the same number of routes run. And then you have to make an assessment of, okay, were the was it just is this just variance that there weren't more balls thrown to the tight ends there? Or were they like, were, were in essence, were they like the fourth read on these particular plays, whereas they mm -hmm. would have been the first or second read with Laporta in, you know, so you can kind of go down that rabbit hole, huh? Yeah. And I love that for defense as well. I think that's where you can really get an edge because sometimes the lines are set for what a guy like the season average for a player, Kaiser white would last week was one of my, uh, my man versus machine props on bet live. Mm -hmm. He had barely played all season. It was rare for him to be on the field. And then suddenly he was playing because injuries had the prior two weeks had played every all but one snap and went over that line easily at a ton of tackles. So you can attack those sort of things as well, just by knowing participation. Every every the last 18 weeks, every Tuesday night, I was up going team by team for defensive projections at the player level to to adjust those snap shares to, to be able to identify those. Because if you hit on one of them, and there's been quite a few this season. That can be a, a winner. One you mentioned the Super Bowl. One of my favorites all time was uh, two years ago when the Rams were in the Super Bowl. Traven Howard uh, was an off-ball linebacker for the Rams. Same kind of thing throughout the year, um, and he had a sack prop. And the juice was ugly. It was like minus two eighty or something ridiculous, or maybe it was lower than that. But I Ernest Jones was a rookie. He was emerging at linebacker, and like I was like Howard might not play a defensive snap. He might just be special teams. So I hammered that one. I mentioned that on Daily Wager that morning. Took some heat from from betters who are like you don't bet like minus 320 or whatever whatever it was and i was like this is i mean this one has like a 99 percent chance to hit he, the guy had never had a sack and he probably wasn't gonna play on defense like i love finding that kind of stuff that's what it's what it's all about i mean sometimes the, the best value is is on the on, on huge favorites laying big money because those yeah. betters don't I mean, betters like the lottery mentality. So we we, you know. we need to unpack that real quickly for, for Mike's sake, because ultimately this is like a very common misconception that betters will say, like, if you have a minus 280 bet that should be valued at minus 600, that is incredible value. This goes back to the whole Mayweather versus Pacquiao fight where everyone believed there was like this, every smart better believed there was tremendous value at Mayweather minus like what, minus 450 or whatever. And, or Mayweather versus McGregor. Sorry, that's that's what I mean. Um, but yeah, no, this is this is the this is the consummate idea that value does not necessarily come from plus money. Value comes from having a an event that is uh, valued or modeled much differently than what it's priced at. So, anyways, um, I'd love to like go ahead. Wait, Rufus. wait, Jeff, on that like so, 
the Mayweather example is one where there's an ext- where there's extreme value, right? I mean, technically not in terms of your actual edge on a bet because I mean, when you're laying a big price, your edge can only be so big. Like if if I if you gave me something where I had to lay minus 10,000 and I know it was guaranteed to win, like I can never have an edge greater than a percent, right? Like right. if I'm buying something, if I'm buying something at 90 cents on the dollar that's guaranteed to win, I can only ever win 10 cents, right? So um, the other one was what? Not, yeah, minus 10,000 is like 99%. So I find myself in college basketball actually often betting favorites where like, let's say, for example, I laid minus 1,400 in, on Creighton yesterday, which I think we had that as it should have been like minus 1,520. That's a small edge. But if you're actually managing your bankroll properly, like, and if I'm confident in my number there, I should be betting that and I should be wait, like risking a decent amount of money on it. Okay. So let's change gears with Mike on a couple things. One, I was wanted to ask a question specifically about you were talking about qualitative information and news and news and fantasy. Do you think that with betting becoming legal, that that news and information will become easier to get or harder to get? And do you think things like Puka Nakua? emerging almost out of nowhere obviously after week one everyone kind of started to keep an eye on him but going into week one i mean he was largely undrafted right like most people Mm -hmm. didn't have him and he was a week one pickup do those things continue or how do how do those things happen without media i I had one source that i read that that had him and i i actually picked him up in one league but like in general i don't think it was well known right Mm mm-hmm yeah, a lot of uh, I picked him up quite a bit. I mean, I drafted him in dynasty late, but in terms of season long, that was like a week before the season started, kind of end of bench flyer. Um, and and I mean that's that's been the nature of fantasy for a while, which is you know once you fill out your core, you go for those home run guys, guys with good opportunities, potentially good offenses, you know, hidden talents, that kind of stuff. So I don't think that part will change much. We're always trying to find that 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 home run late in drafts. In terms of information. You know, I think like we have we have an NFL Nation reporter for every team. I mean, and their job is pretty much every day to be pumping out content. It's hard to miss things. I feel like everybody kind of knows all the sleepers now, which kind of, you know, I think that I sometimes do better in expert leagues than I do against my neighbors because they just will follow. They don't know the players as well. And we'll just follow the cheat sheets and take the veterans. And whereas in the industry, everyone wants that next great breakout player and everyone knows all the breakouts. So you have to go further and further and further up draft boards to get Sky Moore and George Pickens and all these guys. So um, sometimes, you know, too much information can be a a problem for you. So um, I've noticed that over the years, I think that the information is great. The only thing I would say is I want the, uh, you know, the, the NFL find, you know, Atlanta for not giving proper injury information. I think that's important, but the NFL, like I, I'm someone who every transaction is something I'm recording. Uh, you know, I have, I have Excel sheets set up for every team, every transaction I'm on top of it. Every little thing, a, a punter, a, a fullback being activated for a game could affect the, uh, the target share for a tight end and each back of uh, a running back. So I'm tracking all that. Like the NFL is very, really inconsistent with dropping like the official transaction transaction wire. You'll have some reporters want like a, just a handful of them get it at one o'clock on Saturday, but they won't post it officially until like six, seven o'clock. There was a week this year. They didn't even post it until like Tuesday for Saturday, like that sort of stuff uh, they need to be better about. And I think 
because betting is becoming more prominent. If we're on them about it, maybe they have some more accountability with that kind of stuff. So I would say that official stuff, the injury reporting, the transactions, um, that stuff being, you know, getting more exposure and them releasing it at the right times would be pretty important. All right. The, the next thing I wanted to talk a little, you touched on it at the beginning. We talk about on the show all the time, the core place to gain an edge is to have data that no one else has. And initially your you know, pro football focus work gave you data that people didn't have. Where do you see that going now with a lot of these, you know, with a lot of these metrics coming into the mainstream, where is the next sort of frontier for having data that no one else has? And, and do you still think that's a place where you'll gain an edge? Um, I think on the defensive side of the ball and offensive line, we're still learning a lot. I think we're still in the early stages of that. And uh, I'm always studying things in the off season to try and figure out an edge receiver cornerback matchups. That's a concept that I kind of came up with when I was at PFF, started that charting of matching them up. And since then, there's been more data points, whether it's the type of route, um, you know, open score, you can go on and on, uh, you know, is it zone, is it man, all those kind of things. I'm still learning all that kind of stuff. So I think it's that. I think it's, it's information overload. I think it's understanding the data that's out there and figuring out what to use, you know, what to ignore, what, what is important, what's not important. Um, you know, again, 10, 12 years ago, when we had depth of target, game changer. You know, instead of just looking at yards per car- yards per reception for players so misleading, you know, Wes Welker, I remember caught a, a little hitch route, went 99 yards in like week two one year, and his yards per reception was jacked up the entire season. But if you had averaged depth of target or air yards, uh, you had an edge there because you had a better feel for his role and you can inject that into your projection model. So, you know, at this point, we have a majority of the data we're going to get from NFL, you know, with the with the uh, play-by-play tracking. Now it's processing it. It's understanding what matters. And it's, again, ignoring stuff that does not matter. I think, I think that's the key. And you can use that that stuff also to to project, like, catch percentage, right? If a guy's just running a bunch of deep passes. 100%. I mean, those guys, I mean these unrealized air yards, like, people seem fantasy people love but they're not going to catch as many balls but yeah can and, I ask and how... variance yeah <laughs> yeah high variance definitely... players like gabe davis and george pickens no, no doubt so how do you integrate some of that like wide receiver quarterback matchup stuff and even something a little simpler like depth of target in, into your projection is that like do you, mm-hmm. are you do you have a way to sort of quantify this i mean i guess you have to right quantify like something kind of a little more qualitative or quantitative but but in sort of a different framework on a different scale Yeah, I mean, depth of target has been a core of my quantitative model for a long time for passers and for uh, pass catchers. It's just, I mean, there's 40% more data than using just um, just catch data. So using the depth of target is huge there. Um, In terms of receiver corner, that is still very much on the art side of things. (laughs) Just, you know, an edge this year would have been things like Legereus Need for the Chief Shadows number one perimeter receivers. And if he's on Jamar Chase uh, every snap when he's on the perimeter, which is going to be, you know, 70 percent of the time, the other side is wide open. That's Jalen Watson. He is, you know, they rotate him with Josh Williams. That's an edge. So you look at T. Higgins or O.C. Voss or whoever. Trent Irwin was a sleeper one week, whoever's on the other side of that matchup. So that's something on week to week basis, just knowing that just just having that edge over other people and understanding he's going to follow the one and that's going to open the door for the two. That's huge. Um, and, you know, we we see that all the time with not every team shadows, too. So it's not always that cut and dry. But when it is like that, you can get an edge and that can help you in DFS, fantasy, uh, betting the over. We did that. Uh, Lajarius Neat shadowed Devontae Adams a few weeks ago. So one of our, our fantasy focused parlay 
which we've, we've hit four in a row. One of them was Jacoby Myers over receiving yards. He hadn't liked the first quarter because they just, you know, they were going away from Snead and going at Jalen Watson and it works out. So that's, that's again, more of an art, uh, but it's a lot of data to process to figure that stuff out and where guys line up. If it's own, it's man, what's the scheme, all those kind of things. Sorry, I, I hate to get more specific, but can we talk about how you fold that in? So like when I think about projecting like a receiver, I think about, you know, you're projecting out first how many plays the the team's going to run, um, how many dropbacks the quarterback will have, um, then how many pass attempts. And then you, you you look at how many routes this guy's running and then, you know, what types of routes like. And so what type of target share is he is he going to get? Like, are you I guess to you could say, you know, this particular player is because of, you know, I'd expect him to be a lot better um, just given the the quarterback matchup than his baseline. Like where, how would you sort of, I don't know. I'm just trying to like, how how would you actually put that information into that Mm -hmm. framework? Are you saying like, okay, I'm, is it sort of manually bumping him up, his target share up a certain amount? And just like, it's, I mean, which this is the kind of thing where, I would guess like your experience in this industry for so long doing this gives you a good feel for it, for knowing how much these things matter. Like, do you keep a database of these? Do you write down when you have these sort of qualitative adjustments and like ever kind of look back to test how much they've actually mattered? Like, sorry, I want to nerdy out a little here, but. Yes. I mean, I'll, I'll certainly look at the, the matchups like Sneed's matchups every single week, see how those receivers did. So um, to answer your question, yes, it is a manual adjustment. Uh, just for the target share aspect on a week-to-week basis. You know, if I think that the perimeter receivers are going to get fewer targets because they're facing the Jets who have dominated that for two straight seasons, I'll move more to dump offs to the running backs or tight ends or to the slot. And yeah, like if Devontae Adams just drawn Lajarius Need, I'm going to knock his target share down for that week. So instead of ranking him third, maybe he ends up 15th at, at wide receiver that week. So that is, I would say that's mostly a manual adjustment. The efficiency, though, is something that's that's on the quantitative side. So I have a, you know, a way that I figure out, you know, catch rate for receivers should be lower, yards per target, those kind of things. That's something that's baked in. But in terms of maneuvering target share, yes, that's uh, that's more of a manual adjustment for the most part. It's so interesting so, and fascinating, and it's so hard to it's it, it's so hard to do complete. I mean, and you can't do it completely quantitatively, obviously. <laughs> no, I don't think you can for NFL, but uh, sometimes the edge is just grinding, you know, just uh, and that's something I've always had uh, for me. Like I just you guys do multiple sports. My my head is football year round. So I'm I have like a what 80 page PDF in the offseason. It just says projections for everything. Strength of schedule, team level, win totals, depth charts, you know, down to the projections for every player, the punters, everything. So. And I love it. Again, it's my hobby. I like doing it when I'm bored. You know, that's just what I do like I, as a hobby. So, and, but that gives me an edge as well. Just knowing every player and knowing where they're lining up and what they're doing is something I enjoy. And if I could take advantage of that uh, for fantasy betting, whatever it is, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm kind of jealous there because it feels like, you know, when you're you know juggling different sports and stuff, the beginning, when I, when I start prepping for a season, I'm like, I like forget everything from last year. And if I could just <laughs> yeah. keep that train going at the end of the season, I have all these ideas and inspiration. And then it's like, mm-hmm. you know, forward and back. Jeff, did you have so something you want to say? Let's, yeah, let, let's move into, you know, the the current week. Um, we are sponsored this episode by Splash Sports, which does a one and done uh, sort of fantasy type game for the playoffs. And uh, selfishly, I have a very important fantasy league that um, Matt Berry used to be in from time to time, which is a playoff league, which we 
draft. We basically draft teams at the beginning of the of the playoffs, and you you essentially get to carry that team through. But if your player gets eliminated, he gets eliminated, right? So ultimately, you're trying to balance players that are going to play, and 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 you can start a you draft two quarterbacks, four running backs, four wide receivers slash tight ends, two defenses, uh, two kickers, and you start half of them. So it's like a really fun format, and it's basically seven t- teams playing against each other. But what I was curious about, given what you were saying, because the draft is getting towards the end right now, would Jalen Waddle be a good pick this week? Obviously, health is an issue, but will Sneed – Will he shadow? You said outside perimeter. I mean, Tyreek Hill lines up in the slot a reasonable amount. Am I correct? So will Legereus Sneed actually shadow Tyreek Hill the whole time? Uh, I'm not super worried about that. First of all, you can't really shadow Tyreek Hill. I actually exchanged um, some tweets with Casey Hayward um, a couple of years ago when he was on the Chargers because people were asking why he didn't shadow Tyreek Hill. And I was like, you can't shadow this guy, you know, when, when he, whether he's on Miami or Kansas City because he lines up everywhere. He's just constantly moving around and you can't just put a guy like Hayward who just almost exclusively shadows perimeter guys uh, on him. So I'm not really worried about that for Tyreek Hill. I will say this, uh, when they played um, a few weeks ago, I have it right here. um, He shadowed him on 12 of his 14 perimeter routes, but he ran 33 routes in that game. So when he was not on the perimeter, uh, Sneak was not on him. So uh, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that matchup. Um, I don't think it really affects hill much and certainly shouldn't affect waddle the, my biggest concern with waddle believe it or not would be their defense i don't know how they're going to beat the chiefs they're missing everybody the back end of that is avian howard's going to be out they have injuries at safety top linebackers out top three edge rushers are out i don't know how miami's going to contain them which is you know which stinks guys because miami was my afc was my super Bowl pick i had them coming out of the afc this year because of that defense and it looked so good at times this year when they were healthy but now this is the nature of it. This is the nature of it. You take all these injuries. It's hard to, it's hard to stack up. And they had that last year in the playoffs. Yeah, I would, I would say that. Yeah. I think the personnel is a little better this year when they're healthy. I, I had them as the best D on paper coming into the season. The young guys just finally hit their stride. They bring in Ramsey and David long depth at safety. It was, it was good, but yeah, you're right. I mean, and, and that's, that's the story with the NFL. I mean, look at season long player props, you know, like, if the guy stays healthy is a chance to go over if he gets hurt and misses a few weeks, he's almost a lock to go under. So uh, it's just nature of the beast with the NFL. Do you have any thoughts uh, for this, for this week in the NFL in terms of the betting stuff and like things that we should look out that, that would surprise us. Maybe, you know, teams from an injury perspective, teams that are more beat up than we think, you know, Miami is a good example. Obviously it's been, it's been well known that they're pretty beat up, but maybe they're mm-hmm. even more beat up. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, number one. I would say Miami. That's a team I want to pick to win in Kansas City, but I'm having serious concerns because of that uh, because of that defense. The only saving grace potentially is the fact that the Chiefs can't score lately. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable how they've fallen off. So maybe that bails out uh, the Dolphins. The other side I would say is I'm picking the Bucks. You know, I think you know I know Philly's favorite in Tampa Bay, but uh, I am from Pennsylvania originally. I grew up a, a diehard Eagles fan, kind of to a point we were talking about earlier it's a little harder to be unbiased you know biased anymore like it's just very objective even watching the eagles anymore um but you know even before they started losing they did not look like a team that deserved to be 10 and 1 or whatever it is they were barely hanging on they were 
playing to the level of the opponent and just sneaking out wins. And I have very little confidence in, in them winning this game. I think it's probably close to a toss up, but I do have the Bucks favored in this one. Uh, but at the same time, that's not really, that's probably, probably something you guys are better at than I is picking the games. I'm more of a player level guy. So I'll be looking at those things like, uh, you know, looking at Devin white and Rashad white props for that game right now, doing some write-ups on those today. Um, but that's, that's from a team level aspect. That's what I'm looking at. And give us your Super Bowl pick, uh, the two teams that are playing in the Super Bowl and who will win. <laughs> uh, it's so easy to pick Baltimore and San Francisco right now. I don't know how I go against San Francisco when they're full, uh, when they're a full go healthy. You know, remember when they lost those three games in a row, they were very beat up with injuries. They're healthy now and, and in good shape. And I hate to be boring, but I think it's hard to pick against Baltimore, a team that I thought on paper defensively uh, was a problem, probably the worst defense they had on paper in a while, um, but they just did a, such a great job. So I, I would say that I think, you know, maybe I'll throw, I'll throw a bone at the Lions as a sleeper, just because we talk about how important health is come playoff time. And the Lions defense is like almost perfectly healthy. If they get James Houston off IR this week, they're going to have one guy on IR in defense. And that's always a sneaky thing to keep an eye on come playoff time. Uh, but again, I don't know if they're going to be able to go to into San Francisco and win that game. They're going to need, uh, they're going to need some help. They're going to need somebody to knock off the Niners and then they advance. Um, but I think I'm with the favorites this year. I think Niners and Ravens are going to be hard to beat. Rufus, any last things for Mike? Yeah. I mean, so I'm curious, I guess more generally, any advice for our listeners about what to um, do or not do if you're if you're betting props, betting NFL props? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm still, still new on the parlay side. I'm not a big fan. I like to just play the odds on a prop by prop basis. I, we, you know, we do some some parlays for for the show and for ESPN Bet, and we've had success there. But I, you know, I'm not afraid for this of the slow burn. I think if you want a profit, that's the key. Just find the edge, bet things you're super confident in. That's where I've had the most success. Uh, and, and that works for me. I would say, uh, kind of, I alluded to it before, but on a season long, season long prop advice would be if you like an over, don't bet it. If you like an under, absolutely bet it. Uh, that would be it because I mean, <laughs> injuries are such a huge factor uh, with those season long props. I can't, that's the most important variable more than anything else is will this player hold up for 16 games or are they going to miss a few? And if they miss a few, it's like almost a lock they'll go under. So McCaffrey unders next year, huh? 100%. We talked about this on the, on the fantasy pod yesterday, fade McCaffrey next year. Those guys that get the huge volume repeating is almost impossible. Let me look at the list of players who have played 34 games the last two years especially a running back. There's almost no one. Uh, it's so hard to do. Yeah, but I have to keep him in my fantasy league. I can't not keep him, right? Look, we're still going to rank him super high. Yeah, of course you yeah. have to, but it's it's certainly a, a sell-high opportunity, if you will, and uh, it's going to be tough for him to repeat, especially at age 28. He's hitting that yeah. cliff for running backs. We saw it with Austin Eckler and, and a few other running backs this year. All right, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll have to have you on you again next year for real fantasy advice at the beginning of the year. Um, and again, uh, good luck this weekend. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. So that was our definitive interview with Mike Clay. That was awesome. I, I, I can tell when Rufus is really engaged, like he doesn't want to let me ask any of my dumb questions and he's actually asking good questions. So that was nice to see you do that. <laughs> That's true. I'm like, hold on, Jeff, I'm taking this. I, I feel like you were actually just literally just trying to figure out how to improve your projection.
projections for the Super Bowl as we were like we were watching real time a working session with in, in a glimpse into the <laughs> to the mind, the complex mind that is Rufus Peabody's mind. Well, I don't have all the data that he does or the ability to break it down at, at, at my disposal. And I do think the one interesting thing is that like, especially with this qualitative stuff, you learn through experience, you gain wisdom. And so Mike is able to kind of draw on that. And, and back when I was doing prop stuff, and I guess I still do like once a year, you know, you do kind of draw on, on that a little bit in, in figuring out how to adjust when a player's out and figure out how a team is going to scheme. But I mean, what Mike does is, is way beyond the level that, that I'm doing, but I just found it as someone who's doing something similar, albeit on a, uh, on, you know, a, a less granular detailed level, um, as Mike, like I, I, I found it very interesting to, to see, to see how he kind of attacks some of these problems that he has, these things he has to add that are way more detailed than the stuff that I'm looking at. You know, it's, what's, what I always find interesting is when you talk to someone like that, who is not, you know, hardcore sports better, the amount of insight that you can gain right from them because of just the way they look at the game differently than, you know, they're not looking at constantly like, Oh, should I take Rams plus three or Detroit minus three? They're looking at the inners of the game, which I think is, is often more interesting to, to think about. And then you as a sports better can interpret that and, and figure out like how that, you know, impacts where you can get your alpha. Great. But I mean, I think betters are doing that too. Like you are looking at the inners of the game to build a model, to build projections, which then affect whether, you know, the Rams cover plus three or not. And so I, I think for every sport, I, yeah, I no, have, I guess, I, I guess I put a I guess lot so. of like, Jeff, I put a ton of like work and detail into stuff is like esoteric is like, okay, what's the shape of this DK function for this golfer or for golfers overall. And does that vary based on golfers age and, you know, I mean, you, you go down all these rabbit holes and you see what, what, what it turns out. And so I think that's the process that I, I think the process that Mike goes through and then I go through are similar in that way. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not disparaging sports betters in saying this. What I'm saying is when you're trying to build a model, you're trying to gain an, an edge, being able to look at experts from different areas who have diversity of what they're trying to model or diversity of what they're trying to get. Like, it's just, it's just interesting to bring people on, you know, when you and I were talking about who we're going to bring on for NFL, you know, I was like, who are good NFL handicappers? And you said there are none. Right. And so for us to have another NFL handicapper on, and I, I kind of like did a little like Twitter YouTubing where I kind of was watching some people talk about NFL and I'm like, man, all these guys are sort of talking about the same shit, which is like this line opened this it moved to this and blah, blah, blah. They're like, but hearing him talk about like a luxurious Sneed and the impact that that has and the, the, the amount of injuries and the cluster injuries and the fact that like Detroit is so healthy on defense, like that definitely gave me a point of view on Detroit that I probably wouldn't have heard somewhere else. Anyways, that's just my thought. So yeah, I, I enjoyed that conversation and I think it would make sense to have him on maybe in the off season and you guys can do an, a nerd out thing on, on player projections. Yeah. I think what he said projecting. about the the season win total or not season win total, but the season long fantasy props um, or season long player props, I should say is, is so true that it, you you really are largely betting on whether the player is going to get hurt or not. And for so long books basically priced it like, like, okay, what do we expect this guy to have based on his previous year, which he was probably healthy. We'll cut it a little bit, but you know, 
in this day and age, injuries are just so common. And you yeah. could, I mean, you could bet every, I, I know it's not, they've adjusted down a bit, but back then, um, you know, you could have bet every single under on a player prop and, and been you know, making good money. And back in the day, you, you could bet every single under on player individual game player props and probably break even at least, or I mean, definitely make money back when I started um, betting back in like 2000, uh, 2008. Did you take any, um, Oh, anything away from his analysis of the Eagles? Uh, we, we talked about that obviously at the beginning. And then we talked about that at the end, you know, like we're at the point right now where maybe we can do our pick of the week. And I mentioned the the Rams as sort of my pick of the week. I mean, even with his info on the Lions, still still kind of like the Rams there. He liked he mentioned the Buccaneers. It seems like potentially that line may continue to go up. Um, it's at minus three right now, with pretty much even even uh, pretty much uh, like even juice on both sides. What do you think? Any thoughts on this week's games and what you like in the NFL? You know, I, I'm gonna. I am going to go based off of my ratings here, but I'm going to add, I have a, a a reason that another reason, a qualitative reason that may or may not actually make a difference um, that I think could make it a little bit better. And that is the weather in Buffalo. And so I'm, I'm going to go with the Steelers that game. I mean, the weather in Buffalo looks pretty um, not great. Like it's going to be windy, I know there's potential for some lake effects now. I think right now that isn't looking like it's in the forecast moment. Um, that's going to be the precipitation is going to be mostly Saturday, but you're going to see like 20 plus mile an hour wind. And I think that kind of, I think bad weather favors a team um, like helps, helps the underdog typically. And a team like the Steelers that are a better, I don't want to say better running. Team. I, I don't know what they're good at, but you know, they're not, they're I'll not. put it this way. Um, Mason Rudolph is not Josh Allen, right? So, so do you like the under in that game or what do you think it's just priced in and it's so low that like 36 and a half is just, it's even with, because the winds I looked at it the other day, they could be gusting up into like the forties or fifties yeah. that day. Um, like there, there might be no, I mean, is this a situation where under is the play because it's gonna, it's, I mean, again, this is likely not going to close at 36 and a half. This, this will close lower is my guess. Probably. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking we were just picking a side and I was going to take Steelers plus 10 there, but, but yes, I mean, I don't have, I'm not modeling out totals, but I, in general, like I do think like really strong gusty wind is historically has been undervalued by the market. Interesting. So 36 and a half, maybe some value there. I mentioned my game. Do you, what do you think about the weather in my game? Do you think there'd be, it'll be an impact? Which, which game's yours again, Jeff? The Detroit, Detroit Rams game. Well, the question is, do they set it to 68 or 72? What do they set those to? I don't know. You, probably 68 or probably less. Actually. I think with so many people, you have to air condition even in the winter. Okay. But I mean, that still reminds me of one of the great, um, well, I remember learning from um, a colleague at LVSC about about the Metrodome. This is when the Twins played at the Metrodome. This is back in like 2008. Metrodome day games when the attendance was so low, like the air conditioner would, would there was some effect of the air conditioner, which I forget if it was an over or under, but like it was this totals angle. And I was like, man, that's so interesting. You think that was anecdotal or like, do you think there was a 
cause there that, that I'm sure there's a I think there was a cause I mean the fact that yeah I mean if there's nobody in a big dome um I, mean, I, I don't remember the mechanism but I remember it being pretty convincing at the time okay cool story bro yeah uh any thoughts on your I'll ask you the same question I asked Mike Clay who goes to the Super Bowl who wins the Super Bowl I mean San Francisco is clearly the favorite i mean so chalk 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 I think, I think that's such a boring question like saying oh which team Any okay thoughts? well like, if, if one of those if one of those two teams isn't there who's who's the who's the team that crashes the party say if san francisco are, are is that a better question buffalo probably yeah buffalo or dallas right those are maybe. probably the two i want to know jeff yeah. for splash sports uh one and done who did you pick last week and how did you do i picked, I picked harris english Ooh, that's a so, pretty good one. It no, it ended up not being good. It was it looked good for a little how while, he, but then how did where did he finish? He made three hundred twenty thousand dollars. So he was like, what place was he then? I'm looking. I'm having to look. I don't even up. know. Tied for fourteenth. Oh, yeah, he he no. he finished the exact same place as my guy did. Who did you have? I took the golfer that I absolutely always bet against, actually, because I was like, with the thought that I think he's. I think it's it, it was a good course fit for him. I'm going to let you try to guess, but it was a good course for him. By the way, I had two entries, but the first one is the one that's for the that the process stuff because I was like, this is, looks really fun. But I bet against him all the time. I thought he was a very good fit. And also, and I, I bet against him this week, but I also just don't think he's going to be as good as he has been the entire season. I, in essence, I'm like, I'm, I'm not buying, I'm buying high. I'm, Selling high? I don't know what... I, I'm taking him at his apex, I think. His apex I could be predator? wrong. Can you guess who that um, is? Keegan Bradley? I have no idea. Eric Cole. Oh. And my other entry, I took Cantlay, actually. Which yeah. I think tied for 12th there is not what I wanted out of like getting out of Cantlay. But also, I never... I hate rooting for that guy, so get him he's out of the, the way. Worst. Yeah, he's the God. worst. Okay. Thanks all for listening and we'll talk to you guys all again next week. Um, there are some amazing one and done competitions on splash sports that you might want to go check out. So that's splash sports.com. And we'll talk to you guys all again next week. Watching all the numbers in the simulated system that break down the data analytically driven media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Pumping. To mention this episode was brought to you by splash sports. You must be 21 years of age or older in Massachusetts, Iowa, Arizona, and Louisiana, 19 years of age or older in Alabama or 18 years of age of older in other states to enter into a paid fantasy contest. Yeah. Rapping Rockers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunching all the numbers. Massey Peabody rankings. We're looking for the edge. Analytically driven. Crunching all the numbers.